All right. The sermon title today is Closing Remarks. It's a very sad Sunday. We are completing our lesson through the book of Philippians, which is a, a very, very sad and mournful day. Uh, so let's go ahead and just read the final verses, and then we'll talk about it. We'll start with, in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 20 through 23. So Philippians 4, verses 20 through 23. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, so um, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your spirit being here. We thank you for that time of worship. We thank you for giving us this place to worship. We thank you for the word that Will shared about being thankful. Help us, Lord, to feel your presence this morning as we study your word. Help us to be refreshed by the truth of your word and give us new insight into how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible that's split up by paragraphs, you might notice that verse 20 where I started is kind of like the end of a paragraph in some Bibles like mine. But just to remind us all that this is what this letter probably looked like when it was first written. There weren't chapter breaks, verse breaks, paragraph breaks. The editors kind of decided where they thought it made sense, which is fine. But I sort of felt like verse 20 fits better with the closing part of the letter. So that's why we're covering it today. And as you know, we go straight through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse. And I explain what they mean. Each verse, and I give some suggestions for how they can relate and be applied to our lives, and then I let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And so we've been going through Philippians verse by verse. We come to the last verse this morning. We started on August 29th, so I was able to spread this out pretty far for just being a four-chapter letter. I wanted to go very slow. I've gone pretty fast other times, but there's just so much in this letter that what I wanted to do in closing was give this letter all the honor it's due by kind of summarizing the things we've learned. So this might feel like a machine gun just shooting truths at you, um, but what I want you to do is to not feel the pressure of trying to write notes on everything that's up here. I just want you to kind of receive it and sort of bask in the amazingness of this letter by being reminded about what the sections were and what the topics were and kind of what they meant. And that might inspire you to go back and read it on your own or go back and listen to our sermons online if you want to as we kind of go through. So we'll kind of go over a, a summary of the letter and then we'll discuss the final verses. So first thing to remember, this is a prison epistle, one of four that Paul wrote while in prison. It kind of puts things into context about the life he was leading while writing these things and what he had given up, the kind of sacrifices he had made in his life for the gospel. He wasn't saying these things as, you know, what you might call an armchair theologian who's living the comfortable life, drinking his sweet tea while telling the church to suffer. He was in that with them. He wasn't asking them to do anything he wasn't himself doing in this letter. 
So in the first opening part of Philippians, we had the opening address, which we also called the tapestry of the church because Paul mentions himself, Timothy, he mentions the saints, and he mentions elders and deacons. And so we talked about what the church should look like. And um, that was the very, well, I guess, second week we were in here, tapestry of the church. And from there in Philippians, Paul goes into this prayer, this really amazing prayer that we kind of broke up into two parts, but he basically is expressing gratitude for this church specifically because they always partnered with him in the gospel. Since the very beginning, when the day he showed up in Philippi, they immediately received him, gave him a place to stay, and since then, as he traveled around, they supported him everywhere, more than anybody else and more often than any time else, and there were times when they were the only church supporting him, and so they had a very tender relationship, and he also prays for them that their love would increase in knowledge and discernment, and so we talked about the difference between knowledge, just knowing things, and discernment, knowing what to do with those things, and how that is how knowledge can abound. He wanted their knowledge to abound in both of those. He wanted their knowledge to abound in, or their love to abound in knowledge, but also in discerning of that knowledge. So it's a great prayer he prayed. And then he gets personal with them and starts to say things like, don't, don't feel bad that I'm in prison. Don't worry about that. The truth is that it's advancing the gospel. My suffering is actually advancing the gospel. And he mentions how he, his willingness to suffer so much had given others a lot of boldness. And so it was resulting in many more people living the way Paul was living, regardless of any kind of fear of imprisonment, because they're like, look at Paul. Paul's in prison. Look how God's using him. And I want to be that. And so it, it caused a lot of... Um, boldness to come out of that. And then that's where that kind of famous verse, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul is basically saying, it doesn't matter to me what happens. I just want Christ to be glorified. And if I live, I know it's better for you if I stay here longer. But if God takes me, that's gain for me. I just get to go be with him forever and eternity. And so um, it's a very personal, intimate section where Paul is mentioning his struggles, but also like, don't worry about me. God's got this. And there's also that verse in verse 25 of chapter 1 where Paul says, for your progress and joy in the faith. And I mentioned, I think that's Paul's purpose for writing this letter was so that the church would make progress. So his life, his example, his letter was all for their progress and joy in the faith. And I mentioned that for me, it's the same thing. I desire for you to make progress and for you to have joy in the faith. And so this is why we teach the Word. This is why we do church, so that you can have progress and joy in your faith. And then we got on to um, the end of chapter 1, in chapter 2, where Paul begins to give them kind of general instructions on how to live, how to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. He mentions in there that it's a privilege not just to believe in Christ, but also to suffer this is a gift God gave them. Here's God's gift to you, not just to believe, but also to suffer for Christ's sake. And he mentions being a servant to others. He gives Christ as the example who came, the greatest condescension of all time, being God, came down to earth as a baby in a manger, being born to a poor family, living all this time on earth, and then the last three and a half years or so, the gospel and the kingdom ushering it in, preaching and healing, and then being crucified. He did all that, 
And Paul says, look at Christ who did that, and now you live the same. No matter what you think your gifts are, no matter what you think your talents are, you should humble yourself and be a servant of others. If you're hearing me echo, it's because we've got a TV back there in case anybody with kids goes back, but I'm just hearing my voice, so I'm sorry if that's distracting you. <laughs> I turned it on, sorry, thinking it might be helpful, but maybe it's not. Sometimes I do too much. I get in the way of myself. So in the middle of this letter, Paul begins to explain how he is going to send Timothy and Epaphroditus to the church. And I mentioned how it's a weird place to put that in the letter because that's normally like at the end of a letter and kind of the closing section, things like so-and-so is going to come to you, greet them, and why is it in the middle of the letter? And it's kind of like the pinnacle because the way the letter is written, it's almost like there's this chiasmic structure to it, if you like literary stuff. Um, and in a chiasmic structure, the first thing you say is kind of like a mirror of the last thing you say, and then the next thing you say is a mirror of that, and it stacks up to where the center of what you're saying is like the highlight. And that's kind of how this letter is structured, and right in the center he has this. And I think if you think back to Paul's context about being a servant and look at Christ's example and us now, how we should be humble, then he points to Timothy and Epaphroditus who have both humbled themselves and given their lives for the gospel, and they're coming to the church, and Paul's basically saying, honor the humble. Recognize those who are among you giving their lives for you and honor them. And it's in the center of this letter that that happens. And then we get into chapter 3, and we start looking at some really amazing stuff in there. But basically Paul is comparing legalism with grace and looking at Paul's example as well. And he describes things like how the Jews put confidence in the flesh but they're not their true circumcision. He calls them dogs and evildoers because of their legalism. And so we talked about the, 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 how legalists are outside the faith. How you cannot, So we defined legalism as if you believe that you have to do things to earn your salvation, that's legalism. And if that's what you believe, then you haven't actually been saved yet because the true gospel is... Salvation is by grace alone through faith. It's faith alone. God does it. He gives it to you for free. You cannot earn it, and so you shouldn't have to earn it because you can't. And so we talked about that. Then we went into describing the inferiority of legalism, how Paul used to be that, and how he used to compete with the best. If it, if it came down to being a legalist, Paul could compete with all of them. He could show off more than all of them with all the, all the different traditions he held. He was a Pharisee and all the things he did. He was at the top if he wanted to try to compete as being a legalist, but he said it was all worthless in the end. And so we discussed the, the superiority of, of Christ and of grace and how only through his resurrection can we be saved in his crucifixion, and it's only by his grace can we be saved, and legalism can't do it. And from there, we got into this section, chapter 4, the Lord that hand, live accordingly. Oh, and before I forget, chapter 3, the last thing was, there was a verse in there where we got our church's name from, where Paul says in verse 7, whatever gain I, ca I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to gain Christ. So then chapter 4, 
He goes back into like living accordingly. The Lord's at hand. He's coming soon. Therefore, live accordingly. And he discusses standing firm in the Lord regardless of any kind of opposition or other things going on in your life. We discussed conflict resolution and how important it is that we have unity and not division in the church. We discussed trading in our anxieties for peace. That was part of chapter 4 as well. We talked more about partnership in the gospel. And again, you can recognize we're kind of repeating topics, right? Because he mentioned partnership at the beginning. We had it at the end, right? And then the previous section about um, the Lord's at hand, live accordingly. Well, that's, that's again like living for Christ, which he did at the beginning as well. So you see how he's kind of stacking these things up that way on both sides. And we ended last week talking about partnership in the gospel and what it means, whether you're on the receiving side of getting support from a church or whether you do the church supporting others. We went into all that. And then we come to the closing words. And we start in verse 20. Interesting. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what is glory? And e, uh, Eric, I almost called him Eli. <laughs> Eric went into this with the, the kids' introduction. But I got a question for you kids. What's something you're really interested in, like a, like a hobby you have or something you like a lot? Just what? Football? Giacomo? I really like Me too. You kidding me? We gotta get together. I got these awesome YouTube videos, like like ancient like civilizations and stuff too, like old lands and or like just antique stuff. Okay, that's cool too. Okay. Okay, video games, drawings. I have two. Also, so the first one is I like playing outside with my friends, and second is I really like Marvel. Okay, Marvel, yeah. Anybody else? Okay, you've already given your answer once. So, next next question. When was the last time you talked to a friend about that thing? Yesterday. Yes, just wait. Okay, today. Giacomo? Right. So, the things that you really care about, you happen to talk with your friends about, Right. Guess when the last time I talked with somebody about metal was? Or skateboarding? Like a couple days ago, probably. Why is that? Or, let me ask it this way. Did anybody have to teach you how to do that? Did you have to go get training to know how to tell your friends about things you enjoy? Is it like a struggle? Do you ever like ask for prayer? Like, guys, please pray for me. I'm having a hard time talking to my friends about football. Like, I just feel like I don't want to tell my friends about video games because they might be offended. Doesn't make sense, right? That's what glorying is. Glorying is when you're so excited about something, you want to tell somebody else about it. And for some reason, when it comes to God, we've got a hard time with this. We want to, like, go to seminaries and get trained for, like, the very simple, like, just how to glorify God with your life. And so if you think about it that way, the way you talk to your friends about football or about video games or about playing outside or about antiques, whatever it is, if you were excited about God that way, just let it come out in the way you act, in the way you behave, in the way you speak. Stop being worrying, worried about if it's going to offend somebody because it's like I was talking to my neighbor last night. 
And he was saying how ridiculous it is because if you think about it, it's like, you're my friend. This is really important to me. Do you not want me to tell you things that are important to me? Like, are we not friends anymore? Or can I just tell you this even if you disagree? Like, why can't I just share with you what I'm interested in? And it happens to be God. And you don't have to agree with it, but I shouldn't not be able to because it's going to offend you. Like, then don't talk to me about football. And I guess we're just not friends anymore. So think about it. That's what glorying is. It's letting the excitement of God come out in your life and how you act and how you speak. And the people around you just begin to take notice of it. So if God is something you're passionate about, it'll come up a lot in your mind, and the problem is getting that from your mind to your lips and just speaking it out. And it's not that we don't have anything to say about God, it's just often we're uncomfortable about that. And we shouldn't be. People should see the love of God all over us. Okay, then, uh, oh, there was my cool image for that. Totally uh, missed the boat on that one. It's too late. Just some guy glorifying something. Okay, verses 21 22. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I love these verses. It's easy to pass over verses that are at the end of a letter, be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, greet, whatever. But I love this because it shows that the early church had a lot of cooperation and collaboration among churches, not competition. Cooperation, collaboration, not competition. Very often today, some churches don't like to connect with other churches and collaborate because they don't want to lose their people to that church. And they're afraid if they go take their people to some other church that's better, they might lose some of them. I don't want to be that way as this church. We haven't been that way. This is why we do get involved in other churches' events, and they help us out. Like our summer splash thing, we had like four churches helping us, right? And we also do things to help them. And when we do our missions thing on March 16th, I want to invite some churches in the area and once we get the time nailed down for that. Because I want our churches to know one another. And I love when I've been able to guest speak at a church, and we come to that church or maybe we can do that where they come to us sometimes, and we can greet. You know, I can say, my church greets you, or they greet our church, and we have this kind of collaborative spirit because there are reasons why churches don't all meet together. There are some taste differences and things that are kind of secondary that are. it's okay to want to worship in a different place for some of those reasons. But that doesn't mean we can't love each other, know each other, collaborate on things with one another. That's really important. The world should see that as a church, we're bigger than those secondary differences. right? We have love. We have unity. Even if we have some secondary disagreements, that's not the biggest thing in the world to us. Our love is more important than that. And so I love these kinds of verses where Paul says, greet every one of those believers, even the ones that I might be thinking in my head, like I have a problem with that one because he said that one thing one time and he kind of has this weird belief. No, greet every one of them. The brothers with me greet you. All the saints greet you. And especially those of you, like, we all are greeting one another. We're all like, we know each other. We're probably praying for one another. We know what problems are happening. It's great. And like when our missionary comes, for example, we get to hear about his church. And he can go back to his church and bring our greetings with him to them. And how cool is that? So I love that stuff. Okay, final verse in this awesome letter. The grace of the... See, I don't want to be done with this book. Lord, 
Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Uh, the last verse. He leaves him with his final closing statement. Grace be with your spirit. Grace, just so you know, is unmerited favor, which in other words is a way of saying getting something that you don't deserve. That's what grace is. That's how salvation works. It's something that we don't deserve, right? So salvation is a gift from God to us that we cannot earn. It's all by grace. I used to have this, uh, this youth, it wasn't our youth pastor, it was a youth speaker who would always go, it's grace, man. It's grace upon grace upon grace, man. Just a bunch, he was like a surfer guy. Just grace, man. But he was right. It's all grace. And uh, so we can be grateful this morning, like we'll say, be grateful for grace. Be grateful that we cannot, no matter how hard we try, we could not earn this. And so it's given to us, and that should result in gratitude that changes our life and causes us to want to give everything for the gospel, sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ because of the grace He's given us.